0: Well, hey everybody, welcome to The Crossing today and happy Father's Day to all of our dads out there. One of the things that I've noticed during these past few months are all the dads who've been hanging out with their kids. I have never seen so many dads at the park taking their kids on bike rides and walks. It has been so cool to see. Being a dad is one of the greatest joys of my life. I've experienced every stage of parenting. I've been a dad of babies and toddlers and changed my share of diapers. I've been on about every ball field imaginable with young kids. I've walked them through the teenage years and taught them how to drive, which I think is one of the toughest and perhaps scariest jobs of a parent. And now I'm the dad of adult kids And what's even better is I'm a granddad, which is way more fun and is the payoff for not killing your kids. Well, I grew up with a dad who marked my life in incredibly positive ways. This is the last picture that I took with my dad. Here's my dad here. It was my brother's 40th birthday. And I think that I was 31 years old when this picture was taken. And people often think, that my dad was a pastor because I'm a pastor. But that's just not the case. He was just a normal guy with a normal job who loved Jesus with all of his heart. My dad was the same guy at home as he was in public. He never made a ton of money, but he was always generous with what he had. My most vivid memory of my dad was he would sit on his bed every night studying his Bible I always knew where I could find him. And sometimes I would just go up to the room and just join him. We would talk about what he was studying. He's the one who helped me write my very first message that I gave in church when I was just a high school student. My dad marked my life. So to all of you dads out there, we love you. And don't ever underestimate the power of your life on your kids as well. Well, we're nearing the end of our series through the life of Jesus that we've been calling Marked. And next week, Lee is gonna wrap up our series that we've been going through the gospel of Mark. And here's the thing about Jesus, is he marked every person that he came in contact with. Some chose to leave everything to follow him, but others made a a decision to reject him and unfollow him. But you couldn't come in contact with Jesus without being marked by his life. The Gospel of Mark is is the Apostle Peter's account of the life of Jesus as dictated to Mark, to John Mark. It was written about 30 years or so after the resurrection. And Peter wants us to know the message of Jesus was good news. Here's the words of Jesus and the reason that he said he came. He said, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That wherever God is, the kingdom of God is near. And now that Jesus has come, God has come near. And that is good news. And Jesus invites you to be a part of this new kingdom. The encounter we're going to look at today Is perhaps the most remarkable, verifiable prophecy that Jesus made. But it's even better than that. This prophecy would move the worship of God from a place to a movement of people. Now, I grew up going to church as a kid, and one of the rules was don't run in church. I remember one Sunday, I was racing one of my buddies down the hallway at church. We were having a great time until some grumpy old guy stopped us and said, don't run in church. This is God's house. Except he didn't say God's house. He said God's house, which made it sound way more scary to us. When I was a student ministry pastor in St. Louis, there was a kid who was waiting for his parents after church And he was playing with his hockey stick in front of the church building. And about that time, he hit the hockey puck, and he had this perfect slap shot that sent the puck through the plate glass window at the entrance of the church. And the whole thing shattered. It was awesome. His parents were horrified because he had broken the glass in God's house. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it would have been bad enough if he would have done that to a neighbor's house. But it seemed worse to break the glass in God's house. So, is, is this God's house? Maybe you grew up calling this room that I'm in right now, maybe you grew up calling it the sanctuary. A sanctuary is the place where God dwells. That this is one of the reasons why this stay-at-home mandate has been so hard on religious people is we tend to equate a place with the presence of God. We equate the place that we have a spiritual experience as being a more spiritual place. Now, this is nothing new. The Jewish people did this for thousands of years, that they had a sacred place, And it started when the children of Israel escaped from Egypt and were wandering in the desert for 40 years. That whenever they would come to camp, they would set up their camp and and then they would put up the tabernacle. Now the tabernacle was a tent that housed the Ark of the Covenant. And it represented the presence of God. Then fast forward, when David becomes king, He finishes building his palace, and he looks around, and he says, I live in this incredible house, but the Ark of the Covenant is still in a tent. So he puts the plan into place to build the temple, and his son Solomon will take over and build it. Now the Jewish people had a sacred place to go and worship God. We'll fast forward again a few hundred years. And the children of Israel rebelled against God. And God allowed them to be conquered and carried off into captivity in 586 B.C. The Babylonians destroyed the temple and anything of value. And for the Jewish people who had rejected God, they no longer had a place to worship God. Well after 70 years they started to trickle back to Israel and they were allowed to rebuild the temple kind of they were only allowed to build this mini temple but they once again had a sacred place but in 20 BC King Herod yes the same king Herod who killed all of the baby boys in Bethlehem King Herod comes to the Jews and says, I want to rebuild your temple to its former glory. Well, King Herod and the Jewish people, they went back and forth and back and forth until they finally gave him permission to rebuild the temple. And this right here, this is a model of what the temple looked like in those days. In some of these walls, they measured 100 feet high. And this right here was a 37-acre plaza. It was a stone plaza. Now, it, sit, it sat on top of a mount. And so what Herod did is he built the mount up with cut stone so he could make this incredible plaza. The temple structure itself, this is, this is the temple. This stood about 60 feet high. And it was Extraordinary. And this is the backdrop for a conversation between the disciples in Jesus in Mark chapter 13. This is is what happens. It says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones and what magnificent buildings. You see, Herod had spent many, many years building the temple for the Jews He even made it earthquake-proof because this area, it was prone to earthquakes. In this conversation, the disciples were referring to these massive stones that Herod used to build the temple. This picture right here, I took this picture when I was in Israel, that you can see some of these stones were, were just massive. Some of these stones were 11 feet by 16 feet by 44 feet long. And some of these stones weighed 500 tons. That is a million pounds. It it was hard to take all of this in. Somehow they were able to get these massive stones stacked on top of each other and it was extraordinary. But what happens next is shocking. Jesus predicts something that is so hard to believe. Here's what he says. He says, do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, it doesn't mean that they will fall down like an earthquake hits and and they'll just all fall down. No, Jesus uses a very specific word, and it's translated perfectly here. They'll be thrown down. And the disciples, they're just staring at Jesus. How could that be? Jesus, these stones weigh hundreds of thousands of pounds. What do you mean thrown down? Jesus, we don't understand. Because the end of the temple would mean the end of the world as we know it. And they walk out of the temple plaza, and they walk up the Mount of Olives, and they can't stop thinking about what Jesus said. It says, as, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives off, opposite the temple, and as you sit on the Mount of Olives, you can see the whole temple plaza from right there says, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately. So they kind of pulled him aside. Jesus, we have a question for you. Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? And Jesus predicts the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish temple in extraordinary detail. In less, in less than 40 years later, on August 6th, 70 AD, the Roman army decided to squelch a rebellion of the Jewish people. They first cordoned off Jerusalem until the people were starving, and then they entered the city of Jerusalem. They burned everything that would burn, and they literally pushed every single stone off the ledge of the plaza, Into the valley below. And today, you can actually see some of these stones that are at the base of this wall. That whenever I take a group to Israel, I take them to this place right here. That I point out these stones that are at the bottom of the temple plaza. See, this isn't just archaeological ruins, this is actually the fulfillment of that prophecy that Jesus made. In Mark 13. The reason the destruction of the temple was such a big deal is because for the Jewish people, the temple was necessary for them to worship God. That God's presence resided in the temple. So that is why they had to go worship God at that place. And that is why today the temple mount, this area right up here, Is the most sought after, fought after piece of real estate in the world. The Jewish people today are waiting for the time when they can rebuild the temple because they believe that it will usher in the Messiah. Today, there is a mosque that sits in the place where the temple once was. But the arrival of Jesus ended all of that. See, that is why the last thing that Jesus told his disciples was to leave Jerusalem. For hundreds and hundreds of years, everyone, they would travel to Jerusalem to worship God. And Jesus tells his followers to leave Jerusalem so that they can go to all people from all nations and share the good news. So what's all this stuff mean for us? How does this apply to us? This is what this means. Is that the arrival of Jesus signaled an end to a sacred place and the beginning of a sacred people. Jesus brought an end to religion being about a place. And Jesus came to usher in a relationship with people. And after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven the Apostle Paul comes along and he explains something about the temple of God. He explains that you are now the temple of God. Look what he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. The presence of God has left the building and now dwells in his people. If you're a follower of Jesus, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit is in you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is in your life. And when that happens, it gives you everything you need to follow God. So let me just give you three implications for us. Three things that I don't want you to, to miss. Here's the first thing. The building is not sacred. The building is not sacred. Is is this right here? Is this God's house? Have you ever wondered what makes a place holy? Have you ever thought about that? What makes a place holy is the presence of God. You remember when Moses had the burning bush and God said, remove your sandals for you're standing on holy ground because he was he was at the presence of God. Let me tell you this, is not God's house. This is just a cool building that the church meets in. You are God's house. That is why in the midst of our buildings being shut down for the past 3 months that the mission of Jesus can move forward. Because the church is not a building. The church is the people. Listen, I can't wait until we can meet together again. There is something powerful that happens when we come together in worship in one place. There is something powerful that happens that doesn't happen at any other time and we are working daily on our plan to get back together. That we cannot wait. I cannot wait to see you again. But let's not mistake anything. The building is not sacred. It's just a building. One day, this building, it's gonna be torn down and they're gonna build a Home Depot in its place. Whether we gather for worship in our auditorium or in our living rooms, we continue to be the church and continue to move forward the mission of Jesus. That the building is not sacred. Here's the second thing. You are sacred. That feels weird to say that, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it kind of feel sacrilegious to say that you are sacred? But remember, what makes a place holy? It's the presence of God. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, God's spirit resides in you. That means that you are sacred. And that scripture scripture I just read out of 1 Corinthians, do you know what the context was? It was sexual purity. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And here's what he goes on to say. He says, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. That if the Holy Spirit lives in you, then the natural question is, how do I honor God with my body? The context is sexual purity. But I think that it applies beyond that that you begin to to think about the way that you take care of your body differently. This is why we have the crossing recovery. Because perhaps you spent years abusing your body in some way. We want to address that. That's why you ought to care for yourself. You ought to be healthy. Is that you honor God with your body. And then here's the third implication for us. The first one is that the building is not sacred. You are sacred, which means that every person you come in contact with is sacred. When I went to the church at Notre Dame in Paris several years ago before it had burnt down, we walk in, Darla and I, we walk in, and we were talking with each other, and we are shushed by the nun up front, and she just looked at us and just, shh, you shh, you, you aren't, you're not supposed to talk in there. And you're not supposed to take pictures inside either. But I had my camera right here, and I, I probably shouldn't confess this, but if you've ever wanted pictures of the inside of, of Notre Dame, I just kind of walked around, and I just shot pictures like this, and Darla was yelling at me, and I was telling her to be quiet, that I was sneaking pictures See, we get really bent out of shape when people act a certain way in a sacred place. But it is really a sacred people. That is why racism should matter to you. That is why we have to confront sexism and classism. This is why we have to stand up for any person who is mistreated, Anyone who has shown a lack of dignity. Because in Jesus' kingdom, the highest value is love. It's about loving people. And the way that you show your love for God, it's by loving the people around you. The arrival of Jesus signaled an end to a sacred place and the beginning of a sacred people. The person to your left and the person to your right, the person that you come in contact with is more sacred to God than any building you will ever visit. The message of the gospel is you're seated beside sacred. You're raising sacred. You married sacred. You hire and work for sacred. Let me just bring this home for us. Let me just try to apply this a little bit deeper. Is Jesus' original invitation still stands? The invitation that he gave to Peter, James, and John. The invitation that he gave to tax collectors and prostitutes. The invitation that he gave to the rich and to the poor. Just follow me. Follow me and you will find life. Follow me and you will find abundant life. Follow me and you will find meaning and purpose in life. Follow me, not because of faith. Follow me because I've demonstrated myself faithful. Why wouldn't you want that? Why would you resist that? Why would you fear that? I wonder if God just wants to do something in you. Because I think that it's just seasons like this in our life that we begin to step back from the norm and God just does some work in our hearts. And maybe you've treated places as sacred and not people, but in Jesus' kingdom, people matter. All people matter. That we take the kingdom of God to people, and we love them. So you have Jesus in you if you're a follower, and if you're not, I wanna invite you to follow. I wanna invite you to follow Jesus on this journey of a lifetime let's just pray together God we thank you for for this incredible story that today we can go and we can see the reality of this prophecy that Jesus spoke about that it brought an end to a sacred place and it ushered in a sacred people. And God, for everybody who hears these words that I'm speaking right now, you spoke to us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that we bring your holiness into this world. God, I wanna pray for those who maybe are not yet followers of Jesus, but they're ready. They're ready to surrender their life to Jesus. They're ready to put their hope and their trust in him, to have you live in them. But God, I know for every single person, it's about surrender. So God, as there are many who are surrendering to you right now, God, we collectively surrender to you again and submit to you. We are yours. God, help us to love one another. God, help us to be the church that you've called us to be, to carry your mission forward no matter where we meet. And so we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.